Today, we return to our series on comic book feuds with the focus on the trash talk between your favorite comic book legends. Competitiveness definitely breeds contempt. And as far as beefs go, we're cooking more beef than a cattle rancher. And you thought only your favorite athletes could trade insults like a pro. Today, we share the gripes, the quarrels, the jerks, the arrogant bastards, and my personal favorite, Mr. Smarmbucket. It's all coming out in the wash as we look to come clean on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I've been making comics for 38 years, writing them, drawing them, publishing them. I, I even colored a couple. I, I, I watercolor painted them. Uh, comics are my life. Comics are my passion. This show is a natural extension uh, of, of making the comics because we talk about the comics. We talk about the comic books, the superheroes, and their massive imprint on pop culture. One that has only increased over the last 20 years, just taken over. What's at the what's the movie theaters, superhero movies? What's it what what's coming to the theaters very soon? More superhero movies. What's on your streaming platforms? What's on your video game consoles? Your your uh you know your toys, your statues, collectibles, Funko Pops. It's all become so comic book and superhero focused. And this show has given you my perspective since I've been collecting these for maybe way too long. Uh, 1974, pulling them off the spinner rack, fell in love with comics, never looked back. We are going to get right into it today because we got a fun, we have a fun topic to discuss. Uh, look, this episode, we're talking the trash talkers, the trash talkers of comic books. Of course, this is going to have to be a part one because <laughs> I could never cover this all in one uh, single solitary episode, but we're going to have some fun today. We have, we have taken the, uh, s- some of the vitriol, some of the trash calling, tr- some of the name calling that, that, that has gone, gone forth. S- some, some, some pretty interesting insults being traded. Now you're like, life, why this, this skews negative. It's not, it's fun. This is, this is just going to be fun. Um, one of our, our, our subjects today is beloved. He uh, long ago passed away, but but he left us with some great sound bites. I don't know about you, but I love sports. I love I love following sports. I love following the the the, the standouts, the stars. And I have since I was a kid. Uh, my dad was a huge baseball nut, big 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 uh, big Dodgers fan. Uh, I I I became a giant L.A. Rams, UCLA, L.A. Laker fan. And uh, I enjoy baseball. I've 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 kind of you know followed both the Dodgers and the Angels out here, but never passionately like created a, a a you know a devotion to either of them. I just know that they're they're both out here. I, I watch them now. Teams I don't like. Oh my gosh, I don't even know if I should share this with you. But I mean, basically anybody playing the Lakers on any given night, anybody playing the Rams, um, we have our rivals. You know, obviously as a uh, as a longtime Rams fan, I have suffered at the hands of the uh, San Francisco 49ers, mainly during the Joe Montana era, where he just absolutely 100% owned my team. And you know what you know what that feels like. If you have a sports club, you know at some point you have a rival that just owns you. In the early 2000s, when Kobe and Shaq 
uh, those teams were going to three straight finals, rattling off three straight finals wins. Uh, Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings had emerged, surprisingly, uh, because no, nobody really saw them coming in, in 2000, but by 2001, 2002, they were a juggernaut. And with, with, the, uh, with, the, the, with the players such as Chris Webber, Vladi Divac, uh, you know, Mike Bibby, the, the, and, and their own coach, that these were not this, these were not players who backed down from a from a rich insult and uh, Shaquille O'Neal himself would would throw many insults out there. I'm going to tell you one of my favorites and my, me and my buddies we still say this to each <laughs> we still say this to each other. So um so so in in the 2000 playoffs back when the opening round was five games the Sacramento Kings took the Lakers all all five games. It was decided in Staples. The first, uh, you know, playoffs, the first year that Staples was o- open, uh, the Lakers took took Game Five and and uh, and you know took care of business. But it was it was it was it was a scare. That's that's when it was like, wow, these guys really, uh, they've got something. They've got a combination. They've got you know strength. They've got speed. They've got shot making. They've got defense. Anyway, the next year, the next year. People were just anticipating a rematch. Well, that's the 2001 Laker team that just burned through everybody like a hot knife through butter. And when we, the Lakers, we, because I'm one of those fans that that, that sympathizes with their team by calling them we and, and associating themselves as being part of it. Um, yes, gag reflex completely uh, enacted. I get it. I get it. I, I understand. The, the Lakers swept one, two, three, just one, two, three. Sacramento gone. Second round, one, two, three gone. Sacramento gone. They had done it to Portland in the first round, who had taken them to game seven. But Shaq interviewed um, after the game, was asked, you know, what do you think about uh, Sacramento? And this was a theme that he would continue to harp on. And he said, it's back to the expansionism. Back to the expansionism for them. And I was like, <laughs> back to the expansionism, because expansionism isn't a word, okay? But And Shaq knew it, but it was rad. Back to the expansionism. And this is like as he's pulling his jersey over his face. And and what he meant, you know, Sacramento's an expansion team. He's like, back to square one. You're no longer somebody that we need to cons- be concerned with. We, we're, we're, you're no longer somebody that we take seriously. But again, the, the Sacramento fans and even Phil Jackson, the storied coach, of you know obviously Michael Jordan's uh, Chicago Bulls six rings and then with with his multiple squads with Kobe in in L.A. he was also quite a quite a trash talker but he uh, was aware of how triggered the Sacramento fans would get and because at the time the Sacramento fans would bring literally cowbells because it's Cowtown it's part of their it's part of what they contribute in, in terms of like farming agriculture it's it's the the cow business and 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 <laughs> phil uh called them out as as a bunch of you know cow town people and 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 was annoyed at the cowbells that they would ring the entire game you could hear them on the tv set and 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 you know the the players had to mentally close it out so anyway those are two examples but recently um, uh, the two examples being Shaq with the expansionism, which is a funny, uh, 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 literally one of the funniest put downs I've ever heard. Back to the expansionism. With them. <laughs> so, uh, so the thing is, uh, recently there was a list like the top 10 trash talkers in the NBA and in all the sports they have. It. And I'll wrap this up with this, this sports kind of this, uh, you, you all have your sports 
uh, teams and your favorite trash talking. There's just too many hundreds of teams between all of them, but between soccer and hockey and, uh, and, and American football and, and, uh, the NBA and the, and, and, and the MLB, there's just, there's so many that we, we can't just, you know, just completely go through all of them. You know who they are. You know, what, which players that you loathe because their mouth, they've gotten under your skin. And then, you know, which players you love because they can sling an insult like nobody else. The, uh, the top trash talkers, obviously guys that come to mind in the NBA immediately, Charles Barkley, that guy could talk and he could fight and he was funny. Um, Charles Oakley is is another, but in today's, I mean, you, you guys know that in, even in today's very social media uh, kind of gatekeeping world, where where, where they're very aware of, of the things that they're saying, and the NBA wants wants as little of this, you know, these insults as possible. You know that stuff still gets out, and you know that there are um, different, uh, you know, players who just love. A good insult. We saw it in the playoffs. We saw it in the playoffs this last year. Certain players run their mouth. It activates another team. I believe in comic books, we are an all-time low in regards to trash talking because you may go to a convention and that guy may come up to you and say, hey, I read what this said about you. And, and, and I think for the last 20, 25 years, everybody has been on far better behavior than maybe some of the exchanges that we're going to see here now. That, 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 that this is uh this is not the same era of trash talk just be, just like it's not the same era of the physicality of like the Detroit Piston bad boys or the Celtics with the Lakers um and all of the elbows to throats and and pushing and 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 and, and uh just the physicality that the, the 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 swings at each other that you just don't see in the same way in the world of sports anymore but I'm going to tell you trash talk there's trash talk in the game of cricket okay don't don't even think there's not. I was watching a cricket uh, display the other day and the guy was trash talking all of our American sports in in order to elevate, you know, cricket and how baseball is nothing, is nothing. It's a sissy sport compared to the to the accuracy and the skill that is required for, for cricket. So uh, again, everybody comes with their trash talking. Today, we're going to cover some of the greatest comic book insults and comic book trash talking and uh, I, I have got a couple of uh, of doozies here, and we're gonna start. And it's actually gonna all three of these guys literally have claim claims to fame in the world of the X Men, the X Men universe. Uh, we're gonna start with kind of the guy who got the ball rolling, and he his are so. I feel like the insults that this gentleman puts forth are slightly on the defensive. Not all of them, but but they they have a kind of a a, a wry uh, sense of irony and and some sting. There's some real sting behind these, um, and some reasoning, and and they're a little more thought through. But Dave Cockrum, you've heard me speak of Dave Cockrum. He is uh, long since passed away. The storied original artist and uh, on 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 the new X Men Giant Size X Men number one, one of the most beautiful comics ever illustrated. Giant Size X Men number one and and X Men one hundred are two of my absolute favorite Dave Cockrum illustrated works. They are lush. They are beautiful. He is uh, the guy who brought his notebook over from DC that had Nightcrawler and Colossus and Storm in it. And there are so many. That's just the three that you are probably the most familiar with, but it goes much deeper. Dave is a seminal creator of the X-Men franchise as we know it today. 
And as you're going to see, as you're going to see in, in some of his commentary, uh, you're going to find out just, just again, how, how he feels in regards to his, uh, his contribute contributions to the Pantheon. Now I have brought sources. I got receipts as always. Let's just have fun. Let's enjoy some of the greatest trash talkers in the history of comics. And we're going to start with one Mr. David Cockrum. Now here's the deal. Cockrum, uh, did most of the giant size X-Men issues, uh, that, that, that launched the new age of the X-Men. I've told you before the X-Men was, uh, in reprints prior to, to, to Giant Size X-Men number one, I would encourage you right here at the about the 12, 13 minute mark of the show uh, that you go back through the observations catalog, the library, and go through and, 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 and listen to the X-Men episodes, uh, especially anything that involves Dave Cockrum or John Byrne. This is legendary story. These are legendary stories, legendary stuff that are going to give you a tremendous refresher course uh, all with receipts, dates, uh, you know, quotes of, of, of how the X-Men just became the, the, the industry juggernaut for, for the better part of two decades, became the number one top selling franchise and what, and, and, and obviously spawned that incredibly, you know, number one Saturday morning cartoon that is still absolutely beloved, went on to spawn all of the very successful, uh, Fox films don't, I, I'm not here for you to trash those movies. They were ridiculously uh, successful and they had a better track record than most. You, you, you can't sit there and tell me if there was 10, 11 X-Men films that they were all, you know, uh, uh, not for you. I, I can I can identify two or three that were severe misses, but there's some really great movies in there. X-Men 2, uh, X-Men 1 is a great effort, but X-Men 2 is so polished, so well done. Uh, Days of Future Past is amazing. I, I like the Wolverine and obviously I love Logan and then don't get me started on those Deadpool films. Okay. So the X-Men universe, first class also X-Men first class standout under underrated. Uh, I think people, because it was placed in the sixties. Well, I know, I know people at the MCU at the time that the cinematic people are like, what are they thinking setting a movie in the sixties? But it was ballsy. It was awesome. It worked. Uh, again, just, Beyond the movies and the animated series, a ton, just a ton of merchandise, a ton of action figures, statues, um, from coloring books to lunchboxes to video games, all the X-Men video games. This is a huge franchise, one that would not exist. And Dave Cockrum will tell you that uh, without much of the ingenuity that he brought to it. Well, Dave left the X-Men properly, the new X-Men in 107, 1977, he left with issue 107, which is a phenomenal issue, which introduces uh, their version of the Legion of Superheroes, which is where Dave Cockrum first blew up and became popular over, uh, over at DC. And again, secret history of X-Men, some of this stuff, you've got to listen to these because these are so fascinating. Dave Cockrum, issue 107, exits the book, he has uh, stated that he was tired of drawing all the characters. I've got quotes that back that up. He was just tired of drawing so many characters. He he was uh, he, he he is quoted as uh, he couldn't do both jobs because he was offered the staff position as head cover design artist and also uh, corrections uh, and and character design. And th- this guy uh, was just. He excelled at all of these things. Dave Co- Dave Cockrum is one of my favorite comic book artists, one of my favorite comic book storytellers. I, I entered into a deal twice to try and do something with the Futurians uh, with him. 
and, 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 and spent some time visiting and talking with him. Uh, I have sketches from him in my sketchbook. I sat right next to him at an LA con at, when I was 17 years old, spent the entire afternoon, paid for him uh, to, to, to do a sketch, a sketches of two of my Youngblood characters. Uh, for, for, you know, my, my ultimate plan of, of publishing Youngblood, which again, is you can see is hatched in 1984, 1985. I mean, I'm already working on that goal, but I wanted one of my favorite artists to contribute and to do these sketches. And so I sat next to Dave Cockrum. I, I just you know, talked back and forth with him in the 90s, met with him again personally, then a number of different phone calls. So some of the stuff I'm going to tell you today is stuff that he actually put into my ear with his own mouth. But I'm going to give you some quotes in regards to how he felt about um, maybe the perception of, of 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 him after he, he left the X-Men and John Byrne came on, which then created an even bigger fervor uh, on the book and, and 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 triggered even more fan reaction but the fan reaction had already started because of dave's incredible work and as a i'm just telling you x-men 100 i poured over to this day that book is lush it is beautiful it is dave showing off you can tell when artists kind of crank it up they crank it up a little crank it you know to 11 and they want to impress you with their line work their figures their compositions their storytelling um and he was tops at all of these things and giant size x-men number one holy moly i mean again I only have one Dave Cockrum page in my original art collection. I have a ton of John Byrne, but the, the good the good Cockrum stuff just doesn't come out. It, it's 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 not available. It's not you know something that you see out there in the market. And then when it does, it's insanely expensive. So so uh, Dave's imprint on the X Men, especially from Giant Size X Men number one with Storm, with with Storm, with Nightcrawler, with Colossus, huge achievements, huge contributions. But he leaves because he's got a staff job and he can't do the X-Men at the same time. And then there's Marvel's end of it, which is he wasn't producing the book fast enough because it was staying on a bi-monthly schedule and they wanted somebody who could do something monthly and that's why they went to John Byrne. Well, in going to John Byrne, again, the book takes off. And I've done autopsies on John Byrne's work. I think John Byrne's work on the X-Men is uh, the best comic book work of the last 60 years. He is a... uh, the entire and it's 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 the best run in the history of the X Men. It sets everything up. If if you like anything that came after, anything that happened in the book after John Byrne is because John Byrne's crazy, you know, adoration of these characters and the care that he went, you know, and 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 the care that he went and he put forward in, 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 into into pouring into those pages. The the incredible detail. Um, that that's why I clamor for that art. That's why I want it so bad. Is because um, they are just um, they're milestone pages, milestone storylines. But I don't want to diminish uh, again the incredible contributions that Dave Cockrum did in setting the table and, and 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 preparing it for John Byrne. And the reason that I'm taking such care with this is you need to know that as well. The X Men was popular. Dave Cockrum was popular. It wasn't it wasn't even conceivable that someone could follow him and do the job as good, if not better, which is what happened. But uh, in his own words, on his own website, on his own message boards, someone asked him, what do you think about the work John Byrne did on the X-Men following you? Dave Cockrum answers, don't get me started on John Byrne. Okay, don't get me started on John Byrne. For, for further uh, perspective, again, this is August 22nd, 2003. This is when Dave Cockrum... Uh, is answering this. It's actually 4.30, and it says 4.39 a.m. on the message board. He says, don't get me started on John Byrne. My opinion of his art is colored by the fact that I think personally he's an arrogant first-class jerk. 
Okay, boom. We are in the trash talking of the episode. We have officially entered. Uh, his art on X-Men was interesting, sometimes innovative, but it also was simple. It was as simplistic as a Saturday morning cartoon, which may explain the wide appeal that he, he's had. Yes, X-Men sales took off when he took over the book. You may not have noticed, though, that sales continued to increase when I came back. Let, let me give you a side note. That is 100% true. 100% true. That once John Byrne left, every issue after went up in sales. Dave Cockrum continues here in his own words, says, my leaving the X-Men on both occasions was voluntary. The first time I had accepted a staff job at Marvel to design covers, not to color. I couldn't do that and do a nine to five job with four hours of commuting each day, continuing to draw the X-Men. My coming back to X-Men was a serendipitous accident. I'd been asked to pencil an issue of the X-Men in Marvel fanfare, and it was so much fun. I mentioned to Chris Claremont on a Saturday, no less, that if John Byrne ever left the book, I'd like to have it back. The following Monday, John Byrne quit the book, and I returned after one fill-in issue by Brent Anderson. Was I envious of John Byrne? Probably a little, because he's frequently touted as being much more important to the book than I am. But I, if, but if I hadn't created Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Phoenix, Mystique, Lalandra, Deathbird, the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, and the Starjammers, and let me just tell you, in, inside the, Sh- the Shi'ar Imperial Guard is like 20, 20 characters, okay? So, um, and the Starjammers, there would have been an entirely different X-Men book and possibly no X-Men publishing empire, possibly no X-Men comic at all, and probably no X-Men movies. And if in... And if, instead of leaving DC, I'd stayed on Legion of Superheroes, maybe we'd be watching Legion movies these days. And he, and he, and he put a, a smiley face. So Dave Cockrum comes right out of the gate swinging. He's an arrogant jerk. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so when, 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 uh, when asked again, and, and another follow-up, uh, he says, let me tell you something. This is now 2006 on his own message boards because this, he revisits this because <clears throat> after he answers it, I think people were just satisfied. They lingered, but as is, I have message boards. People come back to it. It bumps up. In 2006, Dave takes again to answering someone's inquiry about John Byrne. And he says, in 2004, this, again, Dave, Dave Cockrum's own words, June 2nd, 2006. In 2004, while I was in the hospital fighting for my life, John Byrne made a crack about my work on his website, which really pissed me off. It infuriated my wife so that she banned him from the Dave Cockrum tribute book. He said, well, if you put enough lines down, some of them are bound to go in the right place in regards to Dave Cockrum's art. And that infuriated Dave. And there was a tribute book at the time being put together. And uh, according to this, and then his wife comes on and uh, and also emphasizes that that is when they called the people putting together the book and said, under no circumstances do we want anything from John Byrne to run in this book. Uh, he even says, I don't want John Byrne's hypocrisy in case he turns a piece in to be to be in this book. So, uh, you know, the, the, these, these, these guys... Uh, just did not share the love, but I'm going to give you something that's even funnier. Okay. But besides the, the, the insults and the, and the smart cracking and then Dave Cockrum's, um, Dave Cockrum's wife in the same way that your wife would come out swinging for you. Okay. Or your partner would come out swinging for you. He, uh, she, she states, following that up October 26, 2006 on the, on these message boards, uh, saying that she was, uh, her name was invoked. She said, I am going to say for the record, uh, 
she says, since my name, this is Dave's wife, uh, was invoked, watch out what you invoke. It may come looking for you. I shall once again hold forth on the ubiquitous, sanctimonious, arrogant, overrated, and annoying John Byrne. She goes, when John Byrne made the crack that got him banned from our tribute book. And she says, and yes, it was me who called up Cliff, who was putting together the book, and said, under no circumstances will we let Byrne sully this book with his hypocrisy. Um, everyone else in the book poured out love and thanks to him that truly, in my opinion, helped him to recover. It really did. Knowing that so many of his peers and even people he didn't know liked his work and loved him as a person and an artist was what kept him alive and fighting. He had thought he was over the hill and forgotten, and it had sent him into a tailspin that had allowed disease to eat him up. You got to have the will to live to fight off the bad stuff, and he had lost it. But everyone coming out of the woodwork and lauding him and wishing him to get well did the trick. Uh, and I wasn't having that wonderful book sullied by Mr. Smarmbucket. So, so <laughs> Dave's wife is uh, referring to John Byrne as Mr. Smarmbucket. I had had enough of John Byrne's mouth and had enough of his attitude. Uh, back when we, back when he first took over the X-Men book from Dave, he was such an arrogant bastard who would come into these offices twice a year from his home in Canada. And within 15 minutes, everyone in the office, literally, she says, literally, with the exception of Roger Stern, was thirsting for his blood. Literally, in other threads, I've described how I once saved John Byrne from a beating or a death at the hands of an enraged staffer. If you're interested in reading it, it's over there in the old threads. But the upshot is that Byrne was a relative unknown, having done some fantastic four while Dave was establishing the X-Book as a winner. And as Claremont's talent matured, a book to shape the X-Universe and create a major financial leg that Marvel seems bound and determined to undermine, destroy, and erase. Go figure. What? They think they can do better? Bullshit. And then she says, yeah, tell, tell us what you really think. Uh, so the Cockrums are not big John Byrne fans. And uh, and, they, and they go out of their way to, um, to share that in this thread. Does it get a little personal? It does. But hey, I didn't make them write it. it, it it's written. Uh, you can Google that stuff. Um, you'll see for yourself. So... Here's the most interesting part. When I mentioned the staff job, when I mentioned the staff job that Dave Cockrum got, let me tell you what I do have of Dave Cockrum's. I have one of his Ms. Marvel covers because he was the cover artist extraordinaire cover editor for Marvel. He took over from Gil Kane, who had been the cover artist uh, editor who, who sometimes would do six, seven covers a week. Okay, Gil Kane cranked those covers out. He was doing covers for Avengers, for X-Men, for Fantastic Four, for Power Man, for Iron Man, for Thor, for Captain America. Gil Kane canvassed the entire Marvel Universe, and why wouldn't he is one of the most spectacular artists of all time. When he hung up that role as a staff job, because that's a staff job, that means you're either drawing all the covers or you're sending sketches out. Now, I got one sketch when I worked at Marvel. It was for a New Mutants annual. Uh, it's the one with the Atlantis attacks characters. It's not a shot I would have ever picked, but it was sent to me by John Romita senior with some notes and the cover that you see with the, ex with the exception of name Arita, who is to the far right. I did not draw that John Romita senior drew not only name Arita, but there's three heads of, uh, the, the character surf that we created in that book that he also put as a, as a, uh, a burst kind of a burst that's, that's in the middle of the cover. A burst is like a, a, a like an energy burst, and then there's three heads in it, and uh, and and the shot of the New Mutants kids uh, shooting 
their powers to, to, to wave off giant tentacles coming out of the ocean. That was a specific sketch. I've seen other people's um, cover sketches before, but uh, th- there was a time where if you were doing the cover, you were handed a sketch. Now, some of the covers that, that, that were done on the X-Men that Dave Cockrum, neither Dave Cockrum or John Byrne did during this incredible run, because after Dave Cockrum leaves the book, and John Byrne takes over. Dave does the majority of the covers. And you go, well, that 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 figures. He was the guy that kind of, you know, again, put the X-Men on the maps. Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, so many of those characters, the Starjammers, they're his characters. So he's now the cover editor. So of course he's going to give himself that job. But if he's not drawing, then he's giving the sketches. There is uh, the cover, I believe, to X-Men 112. It's a George Perez cover. Magneto was battling them, and, and Wolverine is trying to stave off his his claws from popping into his into into his face because Magneto is pulling his claws, you know, up into his head. It says George Perez, Bob Layton, but that sketch, and it's and it's been printed in all manner of different kind of Dave Cockrum tribute books. That sketch is from Dave Cockrum. There's, a, I think, I think X Men uh, one fourteen, one fifteen. It's where Wolverine is slashing at his. Uh, at, at, at his fellow X-Men, Nightcrawler, Banshee, Cyclops, and Sauron's image is looming above him. That is from a very tight, a very tight uh, Dave Cockrum sketch. All the direction in that is right there. All John Byrne had to do was look at it and draw exactly from that sketch, which is what he did. You can compare the sketch and the cover, and they're nearly identical. But a sketch is generally done on an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper and then sent to the different artists. And during this period, whether it was Gil Kane prior to Dave Cockrum or then Dave Cockrum, and later after that, a gentleman named Ed Hannigan would take over the job. Marvel had a ton of, uh, you know, cover editors, great guys who, 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 who would, you know, especially if you were a young and up and comer or, or you weren't somebody who just naturally did great covers, they were there to, to, to put that cover image together and send it to you because covers mattered so much and marvel i mean these are three top guys you don't see, hear me mention ed hannigan a whole bunch because he didn't do a giant interior body of work but as a designer and as a cover uh contributor he's a guy that was there in the 80s but from about 1976 to 1980 you know about 1980 there's a three to four year period where dave cockrum is doing all the covers this ms marvel cover where ms marvel is getting uh is battling Deathbird is not only uh, laid out by Dave, it's penciled by Dave, and it's inked by Terry Austin. It, it is a gem. Um, whether it was the Champions, the Avengers books, uh, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, tons of Spider-Man books, especially, especially Peter Parker, the amazing uh, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man book. Dave Cockrum was doing the completed uh, covers. What a great gig, right? It's a staff gig, and it took up a ton of his time. But in regards to the fact that while John Burns x-men run is burning up the charts and he isn't doing the covers i'm going to embellish a little of this with what he told me personally but here is a quote that he gave to uh (laughs) here's a quote that he gave to a gentleman named jim amash in 2003 and he says so this is in regards to um while it was not uncommon for an artist who, who had been associated with the series to stay on and do covers um, Dave, Dave did X-Men covers for three years. Like, like he covers so much. I think his last cover on the X-Men is 127. Burn comes on in 107. Burn has a couple covers in there, but mostly they're Dave Cockrum or they're, they're a George Perez, uh, 
And, and, and so addressing that, Dave Cockrum says in his own words, from this interview with J- Jim Amash, by that time, I'd gone into the cover design job at Marvel, and maybe I shouldn't say this in print, Dave Cockrum is saying. Maybe I shouldn't say this in print, but I did this just to annoy John Byrne. John was the heir apparent to the book, and he was panting to take it over. But every time he came to the Marvel offices, he just pissed everybody off. So I stayed on the covers just a little longer to aggravate him, okay? <laughs> so... Incredible admission, incredible admission. Now to further that, when I was talking to Dave Cockrum in 1993, 1994 about the Futurians, that's when he said, Rob, I was the cover editor. I can give John as many covers or as few covers as possible. And I made sure that I gave him as few covers as possible. And again, that is why during Dave's tenure, John just doesn't do a lot of covers, period. And so the guy that he took over with, who had to sit and watch X-Men take off and maybe get forgotten in the process. And again, I've already in, in that, in his message boards, he, he message boards, he says, mate, am I a little envious? And he admits it. Uh, Dave then went, uh, when went to the, to the point that, that he was specifically keeping covers from John and Burton and especially uh, did the covers on the X-Men, the X-Men issues that you love so much. And so many of them are inked by the amazing, um, you know, Terry Austin. And 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 they're they're either he inked them himself or or they were done by him. But certainly, you know, John Burns character, the Vindicator, who then became Weapon Alpha, became the Vindicator, became the Guardian in uh, in Alpha Flight. Dave Cockrum and, and Terry Austin. That cover, I think it's X Men One Hundred Nine, is is stunning. And I have seen John Byrne take I think no less than two swings at trying to remake that exact cover and it does not hold a candle. It is one thing if Dave was doing these covers and he wasn't one of the top talents in the business, but we're talking about one of the top talents in the business doing these covers. So there is a scratch of some of the trash talk. Now I mean, you're like, ah, Rob, it's not that trashy. Uh, the stuff, Mr. Smarmy Bucket uh, uh, and... and <laughs> And some of the stuff that the Cockrums have shared, I, I think, um, I think safely qualify. Now, again, semi-harmless. And why did I start start with this? I think it's the least offensive stuff that I am going to share with you today. I think this is the least offensive stuff that I am going to share with you today. So, so we are going to shift the narrative away from Mr. Cockrum, the amazing Mr. Cockrum, and go to the ma- the amazing Mr. Byrne. So, see how easy that is from Byrne from Cockrum to Byrne. Okay. Uh, and, and Mr. John Byrne, I have talked about this interview. It is in, in my uh, lifetime, there has never been a better interview, a, 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 a man so fully uh, confident in his powers as this comics journal interview, comics journal. I, 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 I've got my physical copy. I just took it out of the Mylar uh, magazine bag that I have it in. It's so important to me. It's it. This thing is dodgy. It's beat up. If I ever found a mint copy, I would jump on that in a minute. Um, it is Comics Journal number 57. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it's 148 pages. The Comics Journal 1980 Summer Special. John Byrne Unleashed, it says. A four-star extra special interview with the artist of Captain America and the X-Men. 1980, we are about to exit John Byrne's involvement on the X-Men, except, you know, we don't know it, and and he doesn't know it. Like Dave Cockrum said, he jokes like, hey, if John gives this book up, I'd like to take it over, and then John quit. 
like the, ne- the following Monday while, while Dave Cockrum is doing this this job in 1980. So by 19, John Byrne's last issue is Christmas, December 1980. And as the clock turns and the calendar turns to 1981, John Byrne is off the X-Men. But this 1980 summer special is six months before that, okay? And uh, it's conducted a few months prior to that. But Dark Phoenix, all that stuff, Days of Future Past, it's all in the pipeline. It's coming. It's going to blow up. It's going to, you know, it's on the heels of all of these incredible Magneto, Savage Land, Proteus, um, the first Hellfire Club skirmish. John has blown up. His Captain Americas are blowing up. His Fantastic Fours are blowing up. He is a genuine, legit superstar, and 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 the fans cannot get enough of him. And and let me add, in all honesty, he, he deserves all the praise he's getting during this time. I am 12 and 13 years old, and I am eating him up. If John Byrne does a cover, I buy it. John Byrne does a backup story, I buy it. John Byrne does, which he did. He did a backup story in like Marvel team-up I don't know, 75, 100, some anniversary issue. Uh, it was with Storm and Black Panther. Boom, bought it. I mean, I, I was a John Byrne fanatic. But this interview, Comics Journal number 57, put out in 1980, is just incredible. Now, the worst things that he says, I am not going to share with you because they are, uh, I think, even reprinting them. Yeah, not not reprinting them. I, th- I think even re stating them is um way too dangerous he is uh there there is a hulk annual that bob layton inked and he goes off and it uh with a number of insults and john byrne then continues to use terminology and phrases that would absolutely 100 percent uh that we would not say uh comfortably ever uh and today in today's world most certainly uh, just would lend you to the cancellation. Now, did he say it, you know, in 1980? Yeah. Different time? Sure. I'm not going to touch it. Uh, so so I'm going to leave that. The most kind of incendiary stuff that he says, I'm going to leave uh, alone. But let, let me give you a, a taste of how this goes because it, it, it it's the entire interview. John is just so comfortable hanging. And Terry Austin is there and a couple other uh, I- industry figures are there as he's being interviewed for this super special. And it's got a great John Byrne X-Men piece on the cover. Like I said, it is my favorite interview because how strictly uh, and, and purely entertaining it is. He, the, the interviewer is asking him <clears throat> about the difference between working with Chris Claremont and Marv Wolfman. Both gentlemen were the biggest writers of that age. Marv Wolfman, prior to the new Teen Titans, prior to crossing the street to DC, was writing Marvel's number one Spider-Man book. And and I think Spider-Man probably was still number one. X-Men hadn't overtaken it. He was writing Amazing Spider-Man. He was writing the Fantastic Four. Uh, and he had done this incredible run on the Fantastic Four with Son of Doom. There's an episode I did about the best action comics. And man, that, that Son of Doom storyline, which is like Fantastic Four 197, 198, 199, and the anniversary issue 2000. I mean, I'm sorry, 200. Uh, John, sorry, Marv, just wrote, oh man, he, I mean, it, 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 these are incredible songs with incredible action, but, uh, Marv was writing Tomb of Dracula, which was critically acclaimed. He was writing their two top books at the time, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. And of course, Chris Claremont was burning up the charts as the X-Men became the buzz book. The interviewer is asking John Byrne the difference between working, working with them. And he says, uh, and he says, the interviewer, the interviewer says, what about Marv? 
And John Byrne says, Wolfman, well, again, this is word for word, John Byrne. Wolfman, we got along better on the Fantastic Fours that we did than our Daredevil Ghost Rider crossover. I disagree mostly with Marv in terms of what came out of the writing end. There were several scenes in his plots that were really nice. And they were all Marv's because it was full plot. There was nothing of me in there. And then he wrote them so differently. I don't know why he did that. The really nice scenes went away because of the way he wrote them. I suppose it's the writer's prerogative to do that. But I disagreed in many cases with what he'd done. Guy says, can you give us an example? He goes, yeah, the, the Human Torch versus the Scroll X fight in Fantastic Four number 214 is a perfect example. In the plot, the Human Torch is battling the Scroll. The Scroll knocks him to the ground, opens a hatch in his chest, and pulls out a ray gun. Johnny thinks, my God, that's a robot. Hits the guy with everything he's got, knocks him to the next, knocks him into the next room, melts him to a slag, and then grabs him by the collar and says, okay, you son of a bitch, tell me how to save the Fantastic Four. The Scroll X laughs at him and conks out. And John says, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, again, I'm not fully, you know, on board with with how John sees things uh, in this. Again, I'm, I am literally just sharing. And he says, uh, <clears throat> he then, <laughs> so that's that that's his, uh, his, his, his criticism of Marv is that, you know, plots change, they were better. You know, he doesn't like the decisions he made with characters and their actions. And here's the deal. You just don't see this level of criticism nowadays because, again, it is so um, fandom would come out and go, how dare you? How dare you? And whether, again, it's in sports, when another athlete criticizes another athlete or a coach on a coach, it becomes very, uh, it, it there's a lot of heat around that stuff. And those exchanges, uh, you know, can can be known to inflame both sides. And that's why I think most people now just err on the side of politeness. Peter Sanderson then says, he's interviewing John Byrne. He says, you once said you did not consider Steve Gerber a true comic book writer. Steve Gerber had been burning it up during this time in the in the mid-70s with his work uh, on, on Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was a giant cultural... Uh, milestone for Marvel. I don't think even they knew how much it would resonate. I mean, it was a huge seller for them. Just jumped out because it was so topical. It was satirical. Uh, it was drawn by Gene Colan, and it was some represents some really great work by Steve Gerber. Burns' answer to being asked, "You once said you didn't con- consider Steve Gerber a true comic book writer. Why is that?" Steve Gerber doesn't write comics. Burns says he writes head trips. There's nothing wrong with a head trip, but it doesn't belong in a comic. Again, <laughs> like who is he? Who is he to say that, right? It doesn't belong. John Byrne is, as you see in this interview, he's an arbiter of taste. Doesn't belong in a comic. Uh, he says, uh, comics should be for general audience, audiences. And that's not to say I got to produce a comic book that should be clear enough that the average person who picks it up can read through it and not feel lost. I think the average person who picks up any given issue of Gerber's Man-Thing or Howard the Duck would absolutely feel lost. Now, two of my all-time favorite comic book stories are Man-Thing. So it's not like I don't like Steve Gerber's stuff. It's just, I don't think his stuff works in comics. And the, 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 the interviewer presses him and says, when you say comics, do you mean comics that appeal to mass audiences? John Byrne says, I mean the things you pick up at the newsstand for 50 cents. He said, what if Steve Gerber did something for underground comics? Would that matter? And John Byrne says, he can do whatever he wants in an underground. That's the whole point of an underground comic. 
But in so much as I think of comic books, you can't do that. I don't want to see like Superman have a nervous breakdown. Superman is a prime candidate for a nervous brain breakdown, but I don't ever want to see him have one. So minor, minor, but it's 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 the culmination. It's the Wolfman. It's the Bob Layton. The stuff I I will not read for you. Read uh, about Bob Layton is the stuff that is most is is today's audience would say toxic. I guarantee it. Um, but I'm not touching that stuff with a with a with a 12 foot pole. So we continue. And again, so we've got Marv Wolfman. We've got uh, we, we we we've got Steve Gerber and the the burn uh, commentary, running commentary, the running trash talk continues. <clears throat> He says he doesn't feel like Howard Chaykin. Uh, what Howard Chaykin is doing is comic books. Uh, they, they're talking about, again, general audiences and adult audiences. They're picking up on this thread that they started with Steve Gerber. And Peter Sanderson says, uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, have, you given, have, you, have you given any thought to what an adult comic book would be like? A comic book adult aimed at adult audiences. Burn answers, strictly at adult audiences? Well, these days, that usually means smut, and I don't do smut. I suppose you could delve into like more mature storylines, things that tend to be difficult to pull off as co- uh, pull off in comics as they stand now. Like, the stuff Chaykin's doing is adult, <clears throat> but it's not comic books. Again, the arbiter. John Byrne has decided with his popularity that he is the arbiter of taste and what works and what doesn't. Steve Gerber's um, introspective, kind of character-driven uh, more, more, uh, analytic, you know, uh, personal comic book approach. Burn, Burn's not here for that. Marv Wolfman's approach, Burn's not here from that. Howard Chaykin, that's not comics. I don't know what he's doing, but it's not comics. The interviewer says, well, what would you call it? Uh, graphic fantasy, maybe invent your own term. <laughs> so, uh, the guy goes, Chaykin's work tends more towards illustrated novels. Yeah, illustrated novels, John Byrne says. I don't know. You call it Fred. I don't know what the, I, I, I don't know what the hell it is. It isn't comics. Okay, so again, uh, the, the arbiter and, and, and the fact that, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody read the comics journal. All the professionals read this. So, so far, again, we've got Wolfman, we've got Steve Gerber, we've got Howard Chaykin, and we are not stopping there. The, uh, he, he goes after his rival. I think number two or number three episode that I started this is called uh, this podcast with in the first season. If you go back, it's like one of the first three or four episodes. It's called The Rivalry That Defined an Era. And it was these two guys going at it. It was John Byrne and it was George Perez. And not only did they split chores and do uh, different sessions, uh, famed storylines on the Avengers during this time, on the Fantasy Four during this time. Yes, George Perez even did a like the most acclaimed non-John Byrne story with X-Men Annual 3. Uh, so they they shared X-Men, they shared Fantastic Four, they shared Marvel 2-in-1, they shared the Avengers. These guys were the two best in the business, according to the fans, according to the retailers, according to the sales. So <clears throat> John Byrne says, I made a kidding remark about how George works, about George Perez's work one time. So this is John deliberately now discussing Perez's work. He says uh, something to the effect that he must live in a world where everyone argues with their faces slightly contorted, one hand up in the air and the other hand and the other just to the side of the face. Burn, it says in parentheses, then demonstrates a Perez pose. 
But people don't argue that way. People argue leaning forward and gesturing. The way real people react is a much more subtle thing. You can't always pull that off in comics. When I first started drawing superheroes, I overdid the subtlety. I said, no, no, real people don't leap up with their legs four feet apart. And that's true, but superheroes do. It took me a few issues of Iron Fist to learn that. You look at these early issues and they're real snores, but then you look at both sides of the coin and you can see it can work in the same book. The superheroes are big, they're dynamic, and they leap all over the place, punching through walls. Um, but Joe Blow on the street walks around and reacts in a much more down-to-earth manner. There is a photo in this. This is one of the most memorable of John making the face that he describes here and with the and uh, <clears throat> and the hand gestures. And under it, it says, John Byrne displays how George Perez arguments look. And again, he's saying, uh, he must live in a world where somebody argues with their faces slightly contorted, one hand up in the air and the, uh, the other hand off to the side. And then it says, demonstrates that Perez uh, pose. Look, they snapped a photo of it and you can see it. Again, uh, again, Arbiter, cr heavily critical, uh, very funny. And and I'm, I I had mentioned that to George Perez uh, in, in many of my different adventures with him. And he laughed it off and said, yes, yes, John had a big mouth. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh <clears throat> Wrapping up the John Byrne trash talk segment. This is, he does not say the words. Now, maybe if I read this the fifth time, it'll, I'll see. He does not say the words Jim Starlin. But Jim Starlin is the only person who was doing Warlock for this entire era. Uh, the, 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 this, and, and he, he had um, taken over and, and written. And let me tell you something. Warlock was the Daredevil, the Frank Miller Daredevil of its time a writer artist tour de force, but it was more cosmic. -y. I, I, because my, um, the stuff that was coming out at the time, especially Broadway shows that were being adapted into movies kind of that represented the hippie culture, like hair and, uh, and Jesus Christ superstar. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that you really felt that was affecting Jim Starlin's work and all the Isaac Asimov and all the sci-fi stories, but really this messianic stuff and this hippie culture and kind of a better, better living through, through narcotics. Warlock was a head trip, but it was a hors de force of a head trip. Uh, the, the interviewer says that he thinks that Marvel and DC might at this point be doing things just for the collector's market. And John Byrne's answer is sure, but the other market, the regular newsstand market is expanding too. The point I'm trying to make is that as important as the fans are, we can't aim our entire line of books at them. We can do special projects. We can do special editions. We can test market smaller lines of books for the fans, but overall we have to write for the general public. What is bought on the newsstands is not determined by any, any single person or any group or any people per se. It's determined by what general audiences <clears throat> want, by what they like. I think the evidence shows that they want good, solid comics they can read and reread and enjoy. They don't want crap, and they don't buy crap, and the crap is going away real fast. We can say that X-Men has 45,000 direct sales as opposed to Ghost Rider, which has 20,000. We can say that as far as fans are concerned, we're doing the X-Men twice as right as we're doing Ghost Rider, but Ghost Rider, for its market sales, does really good because there's a market out there. <clears throat> And you as a fan might look at it and say, well, Ghost Rider is a piece of shit. Why is Marvel even producing it? It's just garbage. And there may be somebody at Marvel who will say, Ghost Rider is absolutely a piece of shit. Why are we doing this? But the people who are doing Ghost Rider are probably doing the best job they can do. And the people who buy the books uh, and the people 
that buy the books know that. And they know that any book that is still on the market, because I, and they know that of any book that's still on the market, because as I said before, kids aren't buying crap. And here it goes. Why was Warlock, a beautiful, gorgeous, well-written book, canceled? Because Marvel, Stan Lee, Jim Galton, Jim Shooter got together and said, the fans don't like this one. We better cancel it. No, it didn't sell because it was beautifully drawn and written and whatever. It wasn't beautifully drawn. It wasn't good. You take it out and you read it and it wasn't very good. Man-Thing wasn't very good. The Silver Surfer, that was canceled for a number of reasons, but it was a flawed concept from the start. So, <laughs> so again, Jim Starlin, who is the only guy doing the Warlock at this time, he, uh, draw, draws the ire of Mr. John Byrne here by saying, was it because it was very good? No, it's because it wasn't very good. And he's he's basically addressing at the time, like, because people would be like, oh, Warlock is so, you know, beautiful and well-written. And, and he's saying, is that, re- is that the reason it didn't sell well? And then again, in his phraseology, it's because it wasn't any of those things. So the John Byrne... Uh, trash talking, which again, Dave Cockrum alludes to in this earlier segment when he goes out of his way to share with you that John Byrne had said, well, when it comes to Dave Cockrum's art, you know, you can put a number, you can, when you put enough lines on the page, some are, some are bound to work. That's a backhanded compliment. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it, it, it was taken by the Cockrums as it was intended by Mr. John Byrne. Here's the deal. I didn't write any of this stuff. I've just read this stuff to you. And in regards to, uh, again, the Cockrums and their feelings about Mr. Byrne, they're very pointed. They're very direct. And John Byrne clearly just shared with you how he felt about Steve Gerber, Marv Wolfman, George Perez, Jim Starlin. And I will not touch, again, the Bob Layton stuff because it's just too nasty. But this is a point, and, and the reason I'm so entertained by it, and I don't judge John Byrne differently in, 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 uh, in the grand scheme of things, he was a, he was a kid, and he was a kid on the top of, on top of the world. You know, maybe he was in his late twenties, early thirties, but he was experiencing some ridiculous uh, success in his own Art of John Byrne book. He talks about going out on the stage, and he couldn't believe that the applause was bigger for him than Neil Adams and some of these other giant Marvel superstars. And he really talks about his own popularity, and it's funny. It's funny. And so it doesn't surprise me that he would venture into this trash talk. I am not sharing with this this with you in any way, shape, or form to offend. He has um, said all manner of crazy stuff about the image guys. I've shared it with you on other uh, on, on other shows. He actually, and I, I know it was an, an issue of the Comics Buyer's Guide, and I can't find it, but he actually went on record with me saying he hoped someone would drive nails through my hands to prevent me from drawing any further. You guys, I didn't take that as, as personal. I was in my studio drawing X-Force at the time, which was the number one selling book in, in the comic books. So I am at the top of the charts reading my idol say that he wanted to put stakes in my hands to prevent me from drawing. And I laughed out loud. It was not horrific. It was like, oh, it was what John Byrne does. Trash talk. He turned that ire on Jim on Jim Lee, on Todd McFarlane, on Eric Larson, on myself. he th- There really was no target that was safe from John in, in, in his time. But I thought the Dave Cockrum stuff, the most interesting stuff is how he said <clears throat> he was so arrogant that I decided that I would basically stay on the covers even longer than I anticipated to keep them him from doing it. So that actually 
translates. And he even says, remember, Dave Cockrum says, as he says that, I shouldn't even be saying this, like out loud or admitting to this. So you guys, today is a day to celebrate the trash talkers. They're fun. They're funny. At no point. Now, now reading that 1981, I was like, oh man, I wonder how Steve Gerber feels. Oh man. I wonder how Marv Wolfman feels. Oh, I wonder how Bob Layton feels. Oh, I wonder how George Perez feels. Because he's just lobbing like mild little grenades at everybody during this interview. And it's funny. It's funny. I, I, I felt bad for them, but at no point did I think, oh my gosh, they're, 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 this is devastating for them. Because these guys, come on, it's artists. It's it's uh, We have our favorite bands, our favorite painters. Uh, my wife is reading about the rivalry of the, you know, Michelangelo. And, and, and his contemporaries, and it's, and it's literally about rivalries in the world of art. So, man, such a fun topic. Figured, let's keep it light. Let's have some fun time, uh, fun fun sharing two giant uh, titans of the X-Men. And there was another guy that I was going to work in here, but we've run out of time, and I have to bump him for another time. And it's not like we already haven't heard uh, a bunch of insults from 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 the, the guy that I bumped today because because... We have. He kind of kicked off the year from us in, in glorious fashion, and maybe it's too early to revisit that. But there will be other trash talking episodes. You, you have my word on it. Um, they, they, they. You just can't look away from this stuff. It's too damn funny, and it also, again, shows you we're in a competitive business. This is a competitive. The art form is competitive. People want to dunk on other people. They want to express and have their their their. Uh, they want to be arbiters. Of, of what is hot and what is not. And you, I don't find as much of, of this uh, trash talking amongst kind of the modern day guys, even the image guys, we were more protected. There's that interview I did share. There's a uh, 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 <clears throat> one, one episode between, uh, I think it's called Todd and Rob. And uh, he, he goes pretty hard at me in 1996 in a comics journal interview and uh, was was really feeling feeling his fire, and that's about as as uh, as as bad as it would get during that period between two guys like like Todd and myself. But where there is trash talk, there is an episode of Rob's observations, and I will bring it to you. And today we did two of the giants of the X Men office and shared some of their uh, very bold statements from different interviews and message boards and commentary that they've done in the past. So. Thank you, as always, for listening to this show. I cannot appreciate, express my appreciation for you um, enough. You guys just carry me, carry the show. And as you know, at the end of each and every episode, I read your uh, the, the reviews that you have been so generous to share about our show. And, it, and they matter, you guys. If you don't think they matter, they absolutely 100% matter. Your statements and uh, when you get that keyboard out and you leave a review for us on Apple or anywhere else, it helps. Uh, it definitely helps boost the profile of our show on a very competitive platform and keep us up, keep our awareness high. And uh, again, I, I uh, am, am always wanting to to express to you guys just how much, just how much I absolutely appreciate the way that you express your generosity and the way that you guys express. Um, your, uh, your, 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 you know, favor for the show. It is, it is never not a hundred percent, uh, appreciated and, uh, it is never not just, you know, how do I say this? I, I just, I cannot tell you enough how, how indebted I am 
to the the energy that you bring to the show because I, I feed off of it. You you all just don't even understand. You don't understand how much I am uh, <clears throat> fueled by your your energy and your responses because there are sometimes, like I've said, I, I, I pull up to this mic and I'm like, why am I doing this again? And hopefully, uh, if, if you're learning and you're, and you're, and you're being entertained, then, then it's all worth it. And, and I, I just, um, am so happy that you guys listen to the show and that you share your enthusiasm for the show. Today, our review comes from a gentleman named Jared Tollett, T-O-L-L-E-T-T, <clears throat> Tollett. Jared Tillett, he writes, um, Rob Liefeld, the women of comics episode was a great insight. I dug it and have started noticing more of each of their work in the back issues that are, that we are pricing and setting out. So this guy obviously works at a store. I've also snagged a few that were recommended by you during the show. Thank you so much for the heads up. I cannot wait for the re-energized Rob to unleash more great stuff on us. And <laughs> this is my favorite part. And stop apologizing for running long on some of the podcasts. I dig all the bonus information. Jared, thank you. This is another one uh, in, in, in this. Uh, the Women of Comics got some good feedback. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. It's like, look. You know, I, the sports guys I listen to, they'll tell you right now, they love the NFL season because the NFL season gets them the biggest ratings. More people tune in to hear about the NFL and then college football. Way more than than, than baseball and, and NBA. It's college football and, and the NFL. NFL, college football, in that order. And they get excited because that brings them the biggest listeners and the biggest numbers. Let me tell you something. The Women in Comics episode, people just saw it and skipped. It is the least listened to episode of any of the observations. I am so proud of it. I am so happy to have done it. It is not the only episode that we've done that focuses on some of the amazing female talent that has run uh, through the history of our business. <clears throat> but... uh I, I I just I just laugh and and thank you for the reviews because that's that's a couple now that we have logged with people commenting about but but again it's it's funny and it won't deter me if I want to do another one I'll do another one I mean that's the first thing I look at and I go ah oh, people didn't 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 take to that episode as well that's not a topic people were digging well I'll do it again I'll just keep doing it because I I I can't let that you know let's call it the algorithm determine the topics I just put the topics that I want to talk to you about regardless but thank you jared for digging the women of comics thank you thank you for buying uh their work in the back issues and, and getting to know their work better and thank you for telling me that i have the uh green light from you to go long because boy lately i have been going long hey you leave the reviews i'll read the reviews that's how we do it thank you so much today jared for leaving that review for us when you leave them on the apple platform or anywhere else um, and send them to me. I find them and I share them here at the end of each and every episode. Sometimes I'll mix it up and do it at the, at the top of the episode, but for so long, I, I do it here in this in this uh, later slot. As far as social media and reaching out and finding me, and it's so great because let me give you an, an example. I had an issue. Uh, I did a variant cover for an X-Men issue that came out recently and I didn't get the copies. The copies that I ordered from the store got lost. Literally, they showed me that UPS delivered it to a different address and there's no tracking it down. So they're trying to get it back. But I ended up not getting any of the comics whatsoever. But all throughout the day, you guys shared it with me. You shared it with me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And I, I loved it. I love seeing that you guys had it. It almost made it, it actually was better than me having it myself is knowing that you guys had it and you were digging it. So here's the deal. On social media, on social media, I am reachable on so many different platforms. On Twitter, let's start there. Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld. 
The guy squatted Rob Liefeld right in the beginning, right in 2008, so I couldn't get there. <laughs> but at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, that's where I live on Twitter. Uh, the blue check is back. I guess I was under the good graces of Mr. M- Mr. Musk. It's back. I'm there. Please. Uh, I love to talk to you, read your mentions, your replies, all the different ways that we go back and forth. Thank you so much for following me on Twitter. I see it all. I love to talk to you guys. Thank you for interacting with me on Twitter. On Instagram, you'll see photos of my vacation, the food I'm eating, uh, the people I'm hanging with, the art that I'm making, the stuff I like. It's just, I love Instagram. Uh, It's a really fun, uh, I think maybe one of the most positive of all the platforms, please follow me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I was able to get in there early because my wife discovered Instagram. She goes, I think you would totally dig this. And I joined that night. And I mean, now we're talking like 13, 14 years ago, but on Instagram, I'm just at Rob Liefeld. Again, a blue check, which tells you that it's really me, that I am the, the, the real Rob Liefeld, uh, as opposed to the phonies and there are phonies, but if you want to, uh, follow me on Instagram, I read your messages, your DMS, your comments, all of it. Thank you for interacting with me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. We have a group on Facebook. I love it. So much of the conversations that we have there have here continue there. And there's so much fun going on. It's how I see some of the other comics that maybe I wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have known was out. We have art contests. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That is the Facebook group. Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's not a page. It's a group. Myself or Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, we are the administrators. That's how you know you're in the right place. We will be the ones that click you through. We will click you through to the other side. Facebook Facebook group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme, and Beyond. I would love to see you over there and join in a, a lot of the more in-depth, fun conversations that we have. I check in each and every day. I'll be looking uh, to catch you guys. Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Marvel, Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme extreme and beyond. So check it out. And I will look for you over in that group on Facebook. There is an app. It's called whatnot. I'm on it at least twice a week. It is the premier collectible app. The, 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 uh, the action over there is incredible. And I'm so happy lately. Uh, some of the stuff that we've been sharing that you guys have been purchasing and then sending to CGC, people are sharing. I got three nine eights back the other day. I want to, again, please the collectible part of you. And, and look, I live in between those those two worlds as well. I have reader copies, nothing but reader copies on my spinner rack, but I also like signed books. I like slabs too. Over on my whatnot, follow me at Rob Liefeld. Download the whatnot app. Follow me at Rob Liefeld. I share signed comic books, signed Funko Pop, signed action figures, toys, not just Deadpool, Fighting American, uh, Profit, Cable, Domino, all that stuff. Uh, and there's original art that comes up. A lot of my preliminary pages, some actual published art, uh, all of that stuff is stuff that is featured when I am on my live stream, which I am generally engaging directly with you. I am looking right in the screen. I am talking to you. I am sharing my signed comics, Funkos, toys, art, and we are having a discussion. It's a kind of loony bin version of this show because it's later in the night. I'm grumpier. I'm not fresh and sunny like I am when I'm speaking into this blue Yeti and giving you the observations early in the morning. Okay. I'm a little grumpier. So forgive me because some of you have noticed you're grumpier. I am. I'm old and it's later. It's later at night. My day is at the end. <laughs> if, if you guys knew how fast I go to sleep after those whatnots go off the air, it's like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm immediately snoring. Uh, join me, Rob Liefeld. If you follow me, you'll be notified when I'm having my shows. You'll be notified when I'm having my shows. Uh, they're generally in the Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. We we don't do Sundays and I generally stay away from Mondays and Tuesdays. So, so if you follow me on whatnot, you'll get notifications when to join in our live stream. So I encourage you 
download the whatnot app and follow me at Rob Liefeld and get ready because I have signed exclusive books. We have Deadpool batter blood. We have like six, seven exclusives just to whatnot, not on my website. You can only get them from my live stream. In the last year, we've done a new mutants, 98 facsimile, uh, variant. We have done an amazing Spider-Man variant. We have done a brigade variant. We have more variants coming up. I have a kick-ass uh, Deadpool for the regular Deadpool series. I did a Deadpool Captain America variant that I just totally dig. These are books that you can only get through me on this platform. So join me and follow me. I look forward to seeing you. We are only a few days away from the CGC private in-house signing date expiring. You have to get your stuff in by July 25th. I thought it was the 23rd. It is the 25th. You get two extra days. If you have been watching all of this crazy footage of Deadpool 3, you you should be getting excited. And and let me tell you something. I'll tell you what's not going down in, in value. Liefeld Deadpool stuff, okay? If you want to get that signed, if you want to get your favorite Liefeld comics, uh, I have never, ever done a signing with CGC. Send it to this private in-house signing. Go to the CGC website, Look for the Rob Liefeld private signing. Go down on the menu. Click the instructions. Get your book in the mail. If it's out and 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 in the mail, they will, will they will add it to the signing. I am going there in August to sign all these books. I cannot wait to see all the different books that you sent me. Uh, the New Mutants 98s, the New Mutants 87s, the X-Force 1s, the X-Force 2s, the New Mutants 100s, the Youngblood 1s, the Youngblood 2s, the Captain Americas, the Avengers, the Snake Eyes, whatever. Send it to me. I cannot wait to sign it. Send it to CGC. This is my first ever. They have a Liefeld label. A Liefeld label. Check. You need to get that Liefeld label. That That is a first. It, it's, it's, uh, it's got my Liefeld, uh, what I call the chisel signature right up there. And, 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 and it's, uh, it's a cool look. They've, they've, they've shown me kind of like the, the, the comps of what that's going to look like. I'm so excited. You guys get on that CGC. Only a couple weeks left. I'm going to continue uh, to bang that drum until we absolutely run out of time. So I think that, <laughs> I think that covers all of it, except I have a new comment coming out. Deadpool batter blood arrives in stores the week of July 17th. It, it may be in your store on the 18th, 19th. I can't keep up with these Tuesday and Wednesday release dates anymore. But Deadpool Batter Blood number two is out. Shatterstorm, Killville. We expand the mythos. I, I, I have copies in hand right now. I got my comps. They are fantastic. I am so proud of this work. I am so proud of the work that we have done together. Chad Bowers, J. David Ramos, everybody has just poured everything they have into this book. We are giving you a high-octane Deadpool adventure. The second issue ships. Get it before it sells out. The first issue sold out. The first printings are hitting at the same time. So if you happen to have missed out on Deadpool Batter Blood number one, the second printing will be there alongside Deadpool Batter Blood number two, which is coming in stores July 17th, 18th, 19th. Look for it. Make sure you reserve your copy with your retailer. I cannot wait to get this in your hands. I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con. I'll be signing at the Hot Flips booth. I'll have the, uh, it, it's in Artist Alley. When I get, I'll have that number for you on our next episode because there'll be at least one more episode before the actual Comic-Con. Come find me in Artist Alley all the way in the back or actually it's, it's, it's at the front of the room. It's like the last door that gets you into um into artist alley i was there last year if, if you visited me there that's where i'll be uh, again hot flips has a number of different booths they host me uh, for one signing each day look at me there look, look for me there also some bu- some big fun announcements will be coming out at san diego it is my favorite show it is the granddaddy it is the greatest it'll be my 41st 41st san diego comic-con 41st i don't miss them i cannot wait to see you i cannot wait 
to break bread uh, with you guys at that show. It's going to be it's it's going to be such a blast. At the end of every show, I want to make sure that you're doing well. Your emotional health, your physical health, your spiritual health, and your mental. Mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. Keep them in sync. Keep them simpatico. The world is grinding. It's grinding all the time. The chaos. Again, dude, feel free, all of you, feel free to turn off the noise, the the, the, the crazy, the news, all, all the divisions that they sell us all the time. They just want us to be divided and upset and anxious. I deal with that going to the movies. I deal with that reading graphic novels. I read. I deal with that watching a cool streaming show either by myself or with my wife. Grab a comic book. Grab a candy bar. Grab ice cream. Grab pizza, pasta, enchiladas, uh, burritos, tacos, hamburgers, all of the what you see as a cheat meal. That stuff. The stuff that you feel fantastic consuming. The stuff that settles your mind, man. You go, oh, man, that was such a good meal. And man, that Reese's peanut butter cup. With, with anchovies just made my day the big cup with anchovies if we say it and speak it it's going to manifest you know it i know it you guys the bottom line is take a break relax plop yourself onto your couch your recliner your beanbag like i do and escape maybe maybe once a day maybe one day a week but get away from the grind that is my hope my prayer my wish for you and i hope you're doing okay And I hope things are going better. I hope whatever issues you had, whatever they are, you're overcoming them and you're getting to the other side. I am rooting for you. Fist bump, boom, through the mic. Uh, Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being part of Rob's Observations. Do not go anywhere because I'm going to be here. I'll still be here waiting for you. Swing back on by. We most certainly, inevitably, and I'm just going to add absolutely, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you.